You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. We are a family together as a church. We are going to dive into God's Word, and I'm really excited this morning to start a series called Wonder. I really believe in the days to come, the next few weeks, God is going to stir up in our hearts a fresh sense and awe, a fresh sense of awe and wonder of who He is. Any sort of boredom or predictability in Christ would flee. And in this church, in this setting, as we are around each other, there'd be this sense of real adoration and uh, wonder of who God is. That's my prayer. Boredom and Christianity are incompatible. And so I'm really believing that God's going to open our eyes in a fresh way to who he is. And it's going to stoke our hearts to real uh, new level of worship. I believe it. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 27. I'm going to pray for us as we dive into God's word. Lord, this morning, we just slow down our hearts for a moment and just fully invite you in, into this place to have your way in our hearts. So many things are vying for our attention and vying for our affection. And this morning, I pray that you would grab a hold of our hearts, that you would captivate us with wonder once again, the wonder of who you are as the God of majesty, the God of glory, your beauty, your wonder would capture our hearts, I pray in your mighty name. Give us soft hearts to receive all that you have for us. And I just pray over every single person in this place, whether it's their first time with us or whether they've been with us for decades, God, I pray they'd walk out of this place with a, a fresh sense of awe and wonder of who you are. In your mighty name, amen. So it was last August I introduced you to a verse, for some of you maybe it wasn't an introduction, but I presented to you a verse that I was proposing as a verse for the entire school year, from August through May. Our city runs on a cycle of school years, so we're just tapping into the rhythm of our city, and from August to May, we are declaring over our church, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which is a prayer of Paul to the church of Ephesus. He says, I haven't stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking that the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you might grow in the knowledge of God. That's been our prayer as a church. And it's been amazing over the last several months as we have continually prayed that over our hearts to see the grace of God that's been poured out upon us, to, to know him in a greater way. And I've heard time and time again from individuals that, this, that there's just this fresh sense of love for Jesus that wasn't there before. And I thank God for that. The spiritual wisdom and insight that Paul is talking about is this special grace imparted by God to have a greater capacity to know him and to turn our hearts towards him in a greater way. And it's been amazing to see that happen over the last several months. And so this Next series that's going to take us uh, up until Easter is a continuation of that thought. But specifically, we're going to utilize the Psalms of David. Because David was one who was captivated by wonder. 
And the title of my message this morning is Captivated by Wonder. I want our attention to be fully turned towards the Lord. In this busy, busy world, all sorts of things vying for our attention, I want us in a fresh way for our attention to be towards God. And that he would capture our attention and our affection. It's so funny as a parent now, how I, I see attributes of myself that I remember back, uh, remember um, noticing in my father. And you, you just thought you'd never arrive there. You thought, uh, I'm, I'm, like, Im, I'm immune to that. I'm not, I'm not gonna be the same as my father, but here I am, now 32 with four kids of my own. I, I realized things in myself that I saw in my father. I remember as a kid, I had an amazing father. Uh, I still, he's still alive. He is amazing. And I, I remember as a child, if my dad was at his desk working away, doing something, working on paperwork or reading a book or something, I'd be calling for his attention. I'd be like, hey, dad, I want to tell you about my basketball game coming up, or I want to tell you about this thing going on at school, or hey, dad, did you hear about this whatever world event? And he was just, he was in the zone. Whatever he was working on had his full attention. He, and there, there, was, there was nothing I could do to get, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. I'd have to like pretty much go up to him and shake him. I've noticed that in myself now. As I get in the zone, I, if, I, if, I, if I'm like opening up the mail, reading an important letter, you know, important stuff, and uh, or reading a book, my kids are calling for my attention. It's like, good luck. I, I'm just in the zone. I cannot multitask. Some of you believe that you can multitask, but it's actually a myth. There's a myth of multitasking. It's not possible. There's a researcher named Nancy Napier, a PhD in neuroscience research, she actually coined the phrase switch tasking. So instead of multitasking, a more accurate description of multitasking is switch tasking. It's impossible for our minds to do more than one thing at the same exact time. So she called it switch tasking because when we try to multitask, we're actually switching back and forth, exerting a lot more energy, switching back and forth from one task to the other. We really can be only fully devoted in our attention towards one thing. And it's so interesting as we look at the life of David, who was a king, he was influential, he was rich, he was well accomplished, he was a mighty warrior, he defeated nations, he de de defeated individuals with great strength and great power. And still when we get to uh, really the core of who David was, we see it here in Psalm 27 verse 4 where he says, this one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So King David, accomplished David, if he were to sum up his one heart's desire, his, the one thing that he's completely captivated by, it's the beauty of the Lord. He says, that's the place I want to be. The place I want to be is in the presence of God, fully captivated, captured by the wonder and the majesty of who he is, the beauty of who God is. That's inspiring to me. It's inspiring to me because I just know as a parent, as certain things cap capture my attention, my tendency to, to, to have that happen in my spiritual walk so many times and I believe God is calling for our attention this morning. He's calling for our attention because he wants our affection. He really does. 
And I'm just praying over our church that in the weeks to come, the presence of God would just come and visit us in a fresh way so that our hearts might be turned towards him in a fresh way, that he would have our attention, that the affection of our heart would be fully his, that wonder of who God is. So as I began to consider this this week, I couldn't help but recall certain descriptions of heaven, what heaven is going to be like. I remember as a kid thinking about heaven, hearing people describe what heaven was going to be like, and I was like, and they, people would often describe it as a, just a continual worship service. Heaven's just going to be a nonstop worship service. And as a kid, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Means I'm going to be forced to stand someplace and be really quiet and sing songs that I don't understand. Doesn't sound like much fun. But as I've studied now and, and looked at the descriptions of heaven, it's so much different than this obligatory, dutiful worship in heaven. Isaiah chapter 6, Revelations chapter 4 gives us a glimpse of heaven, if there's any way that we can fully imagine and understand it. But it gives us a glimpse of what the throne room of heaven is, so like the very throne room of, of heaven where the Father and the, the Son sits at the right hand of the Father, of what it's like. In Isaiah chapter 6, Revelations chapter 4, it says there's these living creatures that reside in the throne room of heaven, day and night, without ceasing, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Or, or one of the texts says, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He always has been, he is, and he forever will be. The one thing that they can muster up the ability to utter from their mouth is holy, meaning he is fully set apart. There's nothing like him. He's unequaled. He is fully set apart. And, and as I read that and, and pondered that, what I really believe is happening is as they declare that he is set apart, that there's none like him, he reveals another aspect of his glory, of who he is, and all they can say again is, holy, he's set apart. And again, holy, he's set apart. And God continually reveals who he is and his glory and his wonder and his majesty. And all these creatures can say is, he is set apart. There is none like him. He's holy. He's holy. He is holy. He's set apart. He's unequaled. There is none like him. And oh, that you and I would come into a season upon our lives in your walk with Christ, whether you're a new believer or you've walked with him for decades, that each one of us would come into a season where God as holy, meaning set apart, that doesn't need to be a foreign term to you. You can begin to use that in your own walk with Christ if you just declare that he is holy. But in a fresh way, in a fresh season, you and I would begin to realize and the conviction of our heart would be he really is set apart he is holy. As you live your life in the comings and the goings, Monday through Sunday, you're captivated by the wonder of who he is, and you say in a fresh way, you're holy. God, you are set apart. There's none like you, and there's this fresh expression of worship from our lives. That's what the presence of God does. There's a moment where you experience Christ. 
Your eyes are open to something, or he does something in your life. He provides a miracle, or he heals you of something. Or all of a sudden, the light comes on. Maybe before what was obligation or duty or theory now becomes a tangible reality. That's what I call an encounter with the presence of God. And the only expression is worship. It's, God, you are set apart. You are holy. There's none like you. And as I began to ponder that this week, I just continued to recollect individuals that had encountered the presence of God. In my own short life, my own short 32 years, I've time and time again seen the necessity of the believer to have an encounter with the very presence of God. And I'm going to talk about what that means in the New Covenant, because David, here in Psalm 27, is in a different paradigm, a different um, dispensation, a different covenant. Things are different now. But still, in our day and age, we need an encounter with the presence of God, where his reality becomes the predominant reality. And the fleeting things of this life kind of fade away, and he becomes our dominant reality. That's, that's what happens when we really experience the presence of God. And so I recalled a student, our very first year on campus when I was leading the Chi Alpha here at Iowa State. His name is Trevor. Trevor was a senior studying mechanical engineering. Took a typical college kid path, but he ended up getting in some trouble his senior year. Ended up finding himself in jail. He was a brilliant kid. But he ended up finding himself in jail for losing out one night at a party. And it humbled him. It kind of shook him up a little bit. Randomly, I wouldn't say randomly, but divinely, a Chi Alpha student invited him, while riding on a side ride, invited him to a Chi Alpha service. And here Trevor wandered into a Chi Alpha service, really not having much of a background in, in gospel Christianity. He wandered into this service, and it was in that place that he encountered the love of Jesus. He encountered the presence of God. So here you have somebody who Christianity for them was theory, was religion, was stale, did not have any relevance to their life, to all of a sudden, this becoming the predominant reality. And I saw a transformation in Trevor's life. Now he's married and in the marketplace and involved in his church. He never touched another drop of alcohol in his life. That's it's an encounter with the presence of God. I recalled a, a friend and mentor in my, me and my wife's life. Her name is Kay. When Kay encountered the Lord, she came with baggage. She gave her heart to Christ, but she had a tough background. And she actually had an incurable STD from her background. And so she gave her life to Christ, but she'll, still she lived in the muck and the mire of the consequences of her life in her past. What she needed is an encounter with Jesus. In her inner turmoil and this thing that was mostly a secret to most people, even in her Christian circle, she had an encounter with Christ and she was healed of an incurable STD. Right there. That's the presence of God. And Kay is a friend and hero of ours. And I remember in my own life, I grew up in a Christian home, but I grew up in a broken home around alcoholism and prescription drug abuse and parents that fought all the time. And in that, those disconnects of what you see in church and then what you see in the home, that can cause kids to wonder all sorts of things and doubt all sorts of things. And so what kids need are an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I remember several key moments in my life, in middle school and high school and college, where the very presence of God penetrated through all of that 
through the shouting parents, through, through siblings that are cruel, through the doubts of losing a, a, a parent to suicide, to all of that. It's the presence of God that penetrated through all of that and reached my heart, and I was captivated by God. I couldn't doubt it anymore. He's all I wanted. And time and time again, I reached seasons where all I needed was an encounter with God, and it was in those places that God met me. He met me. His presence changed my, my way of seeing, seeing the world. It changed my perspective. I saw the world differently. I was captivated by wonder once again. And I'm just praying that over your life, wherever you're at, in a fresh way, the presence of God would meet you. And once again, you'd be captivated by wonder. We need that. So let's just read all of Psalm 27 here. If you didn't get my key idea for this morning, it's God is calling for your attention because he wants your affection. From the very beginning, from the time you were the age of Elliot or Eden, till now, God wants your affection. He really wants relationship with you. Psalm 27, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody, melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. And here he's calling for your attention. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That's where we're going to end this morning. Is that you'd be captured by the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You'd experience a fresh sense of life and vitality because you're captivated by the goodness of God. But let's start at the very beginning in verse 1. Where he says, the Lord, he dec- David, this is King David, declaring that the Lord is his light and his salvation. Obviously, light illuminates But I believe light also gets our attention. And I want you to think of light being like a beacon or even like a lighthouse. And in the darkness of this world, God is flashing his goodness and his life trying to get your attention. And it's it's a decision to respond to the light or the presence of God and to turn our attention from everything that's coming at us the enemies, the attacks, the darkness, the senses of over, being overwhelmed, and instead recognize the presence of God. God is our light and our salvation, and we turn our eyes towards him. And it's in that moment we gain perspective. 
we realize what actually has power over us. He says, whom shall I fear? We have nothing to fear. When the Lord is our, the thing that captures our attention, if you use that analogy of a lighthouse, we spend a great deal of our life on the untamed waters of life. We don't have control of much of what comes at us. It's untamed and wild. That's every day, Monday through Sunday. But it's in that that God shines his presence, shines his light, and he's calling for our attention. And when we do that, what does a lighthouse do? A lighthouse gives bearings. It gives us a sense of direction, a sense of orientation. And that's what the presence of God does. It grounds us. It gives us a, a bearings. It gives us bearings of like, ah, oh, yes, I'm going in the right direction. I'm going to continue to pursue the presence of God. I see the light of Christ. I see the presence of God. I'm going to continue in that direction. And the untamed waters, the darkness, the wind, the waves, they become a lot less daunting when we can just keep our eyes fixed on the light of God. In that sense, we have nothing to be afraid of. And he says, the Lord is a stronghold in my life. He is a stronghold on your life. You are secure in him. That word can be translated refuge. It can actually also be translated harbor. So if we continue down that same vein, that same analogy of his light, the presence of God being like a lighthouse, he also acts like a harbor, this, this place of protection that we choose to reside in, that we choose to place ourselves within. And it's in the presence of God the enemy cannot harm you. All sorts of things can attack you, and it doesn't mean you're not going to walk through difficulties and even feel pain. But I'm saying the presence of God will win the day in your life. The love of God will rule in your heart and your mind. And so when we get to verses 2 and 3 then, this is pretty graphic language he uses. Evildoers assail me. They eat up my flesh. Adversaries and foes, they are the ones who stumble and fall. They, they're encamping against him. War is rising against David. This is pretty intense. Pretty intense, uh, vivid language that David is using. But in God... When God is his light and his salvation, when, God, when he's captivated by all that God is, by who God is, he cannot fail. In the ultimate sense, you and I, we cannot fail when, we, when we're captivated by who God is, when he has our attention, when he has our affection. You see, success in the kingdom of God is not measured by your outward circumstances. It's not measured by the car that you drive, the money that you collect, the promotions that you gain in your life. That's not success in the kingdom of God. Success in the kingdom of God is obedience. When you are obedient and you seek to abide in God, in relationship with God daily, that's success. You're successful. And you cannot fail. Yeah, you can, you can have bad things happen to you. People can be cruel to you. You may get sick in moments. You may have to walk through a season of a disease or whatnot, but you cannot fail. You are successful as you abide in God. And as, as I began to meditate on that this week, I was reminded of the story of Cory Ten Boom, who's a hero of the faith in the 20th century. Cory Ten Boom lived in the, in the, um, as a child 
during, the, during World War II, II, during the Holocaust. She, was, she grew up in a Dutch Christian home. And her family, they were, they were compelled by the love of God to do what they could to save Jews from the Holocaust. So they had a hiding place. That's the name of her uh, most famous book, The Hiding Place. And they'd have a hiding place in their, in their home where they would hide away Jews to protect them from the Nazis. Uh, but eventually their, their family got found out. And they all got drug away to the worst concentration camp in the Holocaust. And in her testimony, she shares, she recounts the, the stories of God's provision in the midst of horrific trials, horrific um, um, accounts. And yet in that, we see in her testimony the peace and the life of God that wins the day. And she's a testimony of that. Even though she lost her sister, her, so, her sister died in the concentration camps. But listen to this quote from Corey Ten Boom. She says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Her heart, her, her attention was fully captivated by Christ. And it was in that place. And this is, she doesn't say this lightly. That's why I don't stand before you and say this lightly. Trust me, I'm a pastor. That means I'm walking in the trenches with you. I sit with you. I mourn with you. I know the things that we, we walk through together. But in that, Corey Tenboom can say with confidence that when she looks at Christ, she's at rest. She also said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She had really encountered Christ. She knew God. She knew the presence of God that surpasses, that surpassed uh, others' understanding. And it was in that place that she knew she could fully trust this known God that she'd experienced with her unknown future. It's a good place to be. So then we get to verse four. Where he says, this one thing have I asked, this one thing I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He could see the world, he could take in all sorts of experiences, but he said, the place I really want to reside, the place I really want to be, it's in the house of the Lord. And he says, I want to gaze upon the beauty of God and to inquire in his temple. Now for us, in our, in our age, the 21st century, what does that mean? How, we, we don't have a temple, the house of God. You could consider a church the house of God, but, but really we live in a completely different paradigm now. And that's good news for you and I. In the, in the old covenant, the presence of God was central to the community of God. It was. We see that in God instructing them to build a tabernacle, to build a tent of meeting, to build a tabernacle, to later build a temple. He wanted the presence of God, the place where God's reality was predominant, was preeminent. He wanted that to be the centerpiece of their community. And this, this is a God that's omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time, but there is a sense that God can be even more known. He can be uh, more of a reality in this place, in this tent of meeting, this tabernacle, or this temple. Well, now it's a new paradigm. Jesus came, and he fulfilled all the requirements for you and I to be called holy in the eyes of God. And now you and I, through relationship with Christ, can come into the presence of God. You and I can actually meet with him. Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us, and you and I can have communion with God. 
So to actually gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, you don't have to travel to Mecca, you don't have to go somewhere, you don't have to come to our church sanctuary. No, you can get away in your own closet. You can get on your knees in your living room. And you can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And what happens in those moments, when you allow your heart to go there, when you allow yourself to, for, the, for God to get your attention once again, you'll, you'll recognize the presence of God will meet you in those places. God will come. He'll rush into that room. And he'll meet you like no one else can. He'll meet your needs. He'll refresh you. He'll encourage you. He'll build you up. And I'm just believing that in a fresh way there's going to be this expression in our church of worship. And as we really experience God in the secret places, as we gather together in this place, when we really experience God, there's going to be this outflow of worship like we read about, or like I talked about in Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4. These creatures that say, holy, holy. Then worship won't be just reading words on a screen. Worship will be this natural expression of what God has been revealing to us and what we've been experiencing. I pray for that over our church daily. And so then we get to verse 6. He says, now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. When things are happening in our life that are negative, that are difficult, they can fully consume our attention. But David said, he lifts his head up above the enemies. He, he chooses to put his gaze on something other than the obvious that's right in front of him. Enemies attacking him, assailing him, coming after him, desiring to destroy his life. That's the realities of, of, of where you and I live. Life is tough. It really is. And it's, it's all relative. It's not, we have, we have an easier life than others. But in general, our lives have many trials, many tribulations, many difficulties. We can choose to be consumed by those trials and difficulties, or we can choose to set our gaze above them. To put our gaze on God. To lift our gaze above our enemies. So when we get to verse 7, I want you to hear the clear voice of the Lord speaking over your life. What, he, what David was willing to hear. He said, he heard the Lord say, seek my face. David's natural response was, Lord, your face do I seek. Lord, don't hide your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. God is calling for your attention this morning. I don't know where you're at. If you've walked with Jesus for a long time or this is your first time back in church in a long time, I believe God's calling for your attention. He loves you that much. That he'd say, hey, seek my face. You got all things that you could pursue in your life. Goals and ambitions. He's saying, seek my face. Let that be the predominant thing that you run after, that you go after with your life. This, when I read this passage, it reminded me of parenting. Because how often do my kids drown me out? How often am I telling my kids, hey, Hey, can you go pick up your uh, stuff in your room? Your, your room is a crazy mess. Can you go, can you go pick that up? And, and they just kind of choose to continue doing what they're doing. They kind of drown you out. 
But how often do we live in that, in that way in our comings and our goings, Monday through Sunday? In our busyness, God is calling for our attention. He's saying, seek my face. And we're like, yeah, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it when I get to it, you know. Yeah, someday, Lord, maybe, maybe later I'll have more free time. I'll have, I'll have less vying for my attention later. So maybe I'll get to that someday, Lord. Oh, that we'd be a people in the 21st century, that you and I would be a people that respond to a God that's getting our attention. He's saying, seek my face. That we'd have the response of David. Lord, your face we will seek. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us the parable, tells us the parable of the wise and the unwise builder. He says there's two builders. One chooses to build his house on a rock. One chooses to build his house on the sand. The wind, the storm, the rains of life come. Obviously the one on the rock stands. The one on the sand does not. What does this mean? The one who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears the word and he does it. The one who builds it, builds his house on the sand is like those that don't even hear it, honestly. They don't even hear the word of God and they don't obey. That we would be wise builders. That we would have humble hearts to hear the word of God and that we would respond to it fully. We'd say, Lord, your face do I seek. When we do that, when we daily walk with God in that way, we're building our house in this secure place like David talks about. This place where we cannot fail. I'm going to close with verses 13 and 14. It's this powerful declaration of faith that David declares. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Your fullness of life and your ability to be captivated by the wonder of who God is, they're inseparable. Fullness of life, the abundant life that Jesus promised to you and I, and then you and I being fully captivated by the wonder, the awe of who God is, they are inseparable. When you get lost in the goodness of God, whether it be in a worship setting like this or whether it be in your living room, whether it be in your drive to work in the morning, when you get lost in the awe and wonder of who God is, life to the fullest becomes the common, becomes the norm. And that's my desire for you. It's my desire more and more in my life. The reality is you cannot be overwhelmed by God and be overwhelmed by this world at the same time. It's impossible. You can't be overwhelmed by both at the same time. And I'm not preaching down at you. I'm preaching on your level saying, I get overwhelmed by life many a day. Many things come at me and I, I seem to get stressed. I seem to get anxious. I seem to worry. But the best response, even to those moments of being overwhelmed, is to get my heart in a posture of being overwhelmed by God again. God in his beauty and his majesty and his wonder. You cannot be overwhelmed by both at the same time. So let's find ourselves in this place where we're captivated by the wonder of who God is. And I want us to close by singing this song, Look to the Sun, because I think it's a powerful declaration of the very thing that we're going after this morning. It would be captivated by God once again. He's calling for your attention because he wants your affection. 
And right now, there's no mediator between you and God except for Jesus Christ himself. You don't need me. You don't need to come to a priest. You can come directly to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna just gonna ask for you right now to have a moment with God. As we sing this song, I would love for you to respond to a God who's trying to get your attention. He's saying, hey, seek my face. He's saying, Aaron, seek my face. He's saying, Ethel, seek my face. He's saying, Amy, seek my face. He's saying, James, seek my face. This morning, he's calling for your attention because he wants your affection. I'm gonna have the worship team lead and just respond to the Lord right now. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.